This is Joey Gallo with the Texas Rangers, and you're listening to the Ranger Nation podcast. One ball, two strikes, two outs. Six to one, the Rangers lead in the top of the ninth. Feliz the high set. Here comes the pitch. Breaking ball, strike three, call! The Rangers are going to the World Series! In the air, shallow right. The Texas Rangers win the pennant. Second consecutive year. Today, I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. Welcome to Rangers Nation Podcast, talking all things Texas Rangers. Rangers Nation Podcast is a part of Dallas Sports Nation, providing coverage of all your DFW sports teams. Now, here's your host, Texas Rangers blogger, the Recliner Nerd. Hey everybody and welcome to Rangers Nation's podcast. I'm your host, the Recliner Nerd, John Moore. Today's episode is Welcome to the Mom Game. Um, we do it that way. Joining me from Fox Sports Southwest Rangers coverage is Emily Jones-McCoy. Emily, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing great. So let me explain why it's called Welcome to the Mom Game. For those that don't know, we see Emily every time the Rangers are playing. She's obviously, we see her on the, the Fox uh the uh broadcast but emily also hosts a, a uh, podcast called the mom game used to with levi weaver hold one uh hosted one called the uh, welcome to the hit show so um i just wanted to explain what that is but she's joining us today and you know this has been uh a little bit coming emily has bugged me and bugged me to come on this podcast he called uh, me for years you know, for years called texted me everything i was like emily it's the holidays give me a chance yeah you know i'll get you on i promise no i'm kidding emily thanks for coming on i really appreciate you doing this um in most cases, uh, a lot of people that listen to this show, let me just explain for you guys. Um, this isn't going to be Emily and I breaking down off-season moves and what needs to happen. Uh, we get that from all the beat writers and everything else. Everyone that listens to, to my show loves to, to know about the people that work the beat writers that you cj dave all these people that i got fortunate enough to be able to meet they love so we're going to talk about you your career and how things have gone um we're also uh, we're kind of uh separated here you and me are kind of the same i i heard the i remember you and levi did one of these shows where y'all came on in one week levi uh kind of talked about his life and you asked him a bunch of questions you came back and and did similar one and uh of course welcome to the hit show is one of my favorite ones it's too bad that doesn't get to go but uh it's, it's isn't still going on but that 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 was a blast and and we our political views are kind of the same on there what i I guess where you and i really um i feel a kinship is your fear of heights yeah it's real it is absolutely real um and it's it's been that way for as long as i can remember see i didn't do that as a kid but i have this unbelievable here fear of heights now i guess it's just because i've gotten so old but when you were in i guess y'all were in milwaukee and you were doing that slide on tv it was so hilarious mm-hmm. and i was just going i i feel for right there because i am like we would go and be, my kid it's it's even worse if my kids or anybody gets near the edge of anything it it makes me sick to my stomach now we have another thing in common too and that's that we've both acted so uh do you oh, have, what did you act in I did some. I did a couple of little movies that never really got distributed or went anywhere. I've done one little commercial. Um, just it was kind of a fun thing. I'm not a professional. I don't get paid, so I'm not uh, uh, Garrett. That what's his name? That the uh, Buddy Garrett. Your your buddy. Uh, 
Buddy Garrity. Yeah, Buddy Garrity. Yeah, uh, who is just, that was a favorite show of mine. But I, I know you did, you were on Friday Night Lights, right? Yeah, I did. I think it was four or five episodes during a couple, over a couple of different seasons of Friday Night Lights. It was a blast. Um, those guys were great. Um, you know, that was Michael B. Jordan. That was like, I don't know if that was his breakout role but you know he was a big player uh later on in that series and then of course went on to be michael b jordan and so yeah i mean brad leland uh uh, kyle chandler you know all those people i mean i think a lot of them have gone on to do some some really big things and that show is such it has such a cult following you get i get so many you know random texts here and there that'll be like i just watched friday night Live and i saw you and i i think it has more of a following now that it's not on the air than it did when it was on. Yeah, it really did. That's how I did. I never watched it when it was on the air. I went back and, and binged watched it when it used to be on Netflix. And then when you were on there, I was like, holy crap, there's Emily. And it, it, how did they approach you on that? By the way, we're getting off topic here, but how, how did they approach you on that? Had you ever had an aspirations to act at all? Or was it just because you yeah. were a reporter? Well, so I am with a talent agency out of Dallas called the Kim Dawson Agency, and I've been with them for years. And so I'll do bit things here and there. I'll do an, a, you know, an industrial video or a company video, an internal video for their, for a company or just different types of things. And so they get a lot of inquiries and a lot of times, you know, they'll get TV shows that are, or movies that are looking for the role of a television reporter. And so they, you know, kind of, throw my name in the ring along with others um, that are professional actors. But whenever any of those roles come up, they usually throw my hat in there. And then I go audition and if they like me, they use me. And if they don't, they don't. Um, but I did Friday Night Lights. And then I did one episode of Dallas when the, the reboot of Dallas was on the air. I did one episode of that. And, and you, I played a news reporter. A news reporter on there too. So yeah. You, yeah. Let, let's be honest, you're typecast. Yeah, I'm a one-trick pony, for sure. <laughs> well, for me, it, look, this was not, I don't have a talent agency, and I wasn't out there auditioning. I just knew some people in the business who came to me about, uh, knew I had done some, years ago, I had done some stuff on a, a couple of plays and stuff just for fun, and uh, my son's really into acting and doing that, and they came to me and approached me about doing, some, I was played a principal in a movie, and uh, did I'd actually had a little small part in, a, in these films called shorts, these little short films. One of the guys yeah. that, we were the three main characters, one of the guys has now gone on, he's out in Hollywood, he was on uh, Fuller House, he's, you know, we keep in touch, he's really kind of getting big, he's, he's on... Oh, who is it? My, my kids are huge in the Fuller House. Yeah, his name is uh, his name is uh, Adam Hagenbush, and he played the which one of the the middle sister or the the she, he played the sister's boyfriend. Uh, okay, so there was CJ. Is that the oldest one? That was the oldest sister. The middle sister in the show on Fuller House had a boyfriend. Oh, it was Kimmy Gibbler's brother. I just now got you back. Oh my gosh, you lost me there. Oh technical difficulties um yep okay so what part did you hear sorry we'll just i asked you what his name was and you said his name is uh and then cut off (laughs) his name is adam hagenbush he paid he played kimmy gibbler's brother uh and he was tell my kids yeah he was the boyfriend of uh one of the the middle sister on on fuller house uh anyway so uh okay so let's get on past that tell me about scout and seller wine you've there's a new thing you got going on now 
Well, actually, I've been with the company for three years, a little over three years, and it launched a little over three years ago. And it's basically a direct sales company, um, It's but it's wine. And so I've done direct sales in the past. It, I like to do different things in the off season to keep myself busy and generate some, you know, income and just basically stay out of trouble. <laughs> so I sold Rodin and Fields. I, I sold um, the product called the gel from New You Life. I mean, like, I've tried a bunch of different things. And then I got approached by uh, Bob Ortegel's wife, Bob, who used to work for the Mavericks. Right. Um, she approached me about this new clean crafted wine company uh, based out of Dallas that this woman had basically just started up. And she was using a direct sales format. And so I was like, no, not, not, it's, I'm not interested. I've got too much going on. I was writing the children's book at that time. And I was like, I just don't think it's the right time. And she's like, well, at least just try the wine. Cause she knew I liked wine and whatever. And I was like, what is it like hippie wine? Like what is clean crafted? I don't get it. <laughs> so I had a glass and then, um, loved it, brought it home to my husband. He had a glass and then I polished off the bottle <laughs> and I had to teach a 545 wake up or, uh, I had a 545 cl- workout class to teach that next morning. And I woke up and I didn't feel like I'd been hit by a train. And so I was like, wait a minute, there's something to this. And basically clean crafted wine is, a patented process from Scout and Cellar that a testing process that all of our wines go through to certify to certify that they are, you know, they don't have pesticides, they don't have added sugars, they don't have added sulfites, all the things that mass-produced wines have in them, which oftentimes will make you feel um, not so hot the next morning. And so it's basically just good wine that if you're trying to, you know, lead kind of a clean, healthy lifestyle and eat right and all that kind of stuff, why not do it with your wine as well? And so it's been a fun venture for me. I've, you know, started taking it more seriously, especially since the pandemic hit. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, it, a lot of people have been drinking wine since the pandemic hit and um, I've loved it. I've, you know, I've got about 850 people on my team now and I'm taking it really seriously as a business because at some point in time, um, I'm going to become the creepy old lady in the clubhouse if I'm not already. <laughs> and it will be time for me to, you know, to, to kind of, bow out of the at least the television role with with the rangers i can only do this for so long i'm not saying i'm going anywhere anytime soon but i'm also trying to set myself up because i'm not trying to get an allowance from my husband so i'm trying to set myself up for life after baseball (laughs) well and so that's you know and i I think i had mentioned you put something on facebook and i commented what about people that don't drink wine i've had one experience look kathy and i'll go to dinner and every once in a while that we might have a glass of wine but wine is not my friend i'm a beer guy the one time and the the worst she's ever seen me was so it sounds like maybe this is something that i could go have a bottle of wine with her that wouldn't be as bad we went out to some friends who had no beer and i started drinking wine like it was beer and it's the only time cat oh had, no oh my god she had to drive home i don't even remember half the night um yeah that's not a good idea no not at all i, I found that yeah, out wine, the is, wine is for sipping not for chugging <laughs> well you live and you learn and uh so all right so that sounds good now now the the mom game that's uh you and julie dobbs that do that on vocal.com uh how did that mm-hmm. thing get started did ted price come to you guys and say hey i need you to come over here no so honestly that was all julie so julie approached me and again i said i don't really have time i don't really need another project and she convinced me to at least give it a shot. So I told her I'd give her, you know, six months. And really, I did it basically for her. Um, We're being honest. I didn't want something else on my plate. But I did think it would be a fun outlet for me since, you know, my, you know, television hits during a broadcast come in very short 
experts. And so right. it would give me a chance to kind of, you know, let loose in a more relaxed forum. And so she convinced me and, you know, we're, gosh, I guess 30 some odd episodes in. So we're seven, eight months into this thing now and I'm loving it. Um, it's a lot of fun. The You know, the podcast world is a completely different animal. I feel like there are a gazillion out there. So trying to differentiate yourself is a, is a bit of a, a, a tricky task, but I think we have a good time. We, we both have similar personalities, but we're different enough to where we're not just constantly agreeing with each other on everything and um, not challenging, challenging each other on things. And so I feel like it's a really, really good mix. And we try to bring on some fun guests and, you know, it's just, it is kind of a niche that's not really out there. Um, you know, we're talking parenting and sports, which is not exactly a, you know, <laughs> hand in hand combination. And so we've had a great time doing it and I, I'm glad she convinced me. And when we were shopping as far as where we were going to, you know, who was going to produce it, um, Ted was a natural fit. They were just getting up and going with vocal. They were looking for content. We both have relationships with Ted from the sports world and, so it was really just a, it was a really good marriage for us and it continues to be so. It's a great podcast. I haven't listened to every episode, but y'all have guests on that make me want to come listen to it. You had Mike Reiner on, Saroy, other, other, uh, that you've had on. I think my favorite though, uh, was the one with your husbands. That, that was my favorite one as a, as a husband and, uh, my wife, yeah. I think we're married the same person because my wife's the one that's more reserved in the background and not as outgoing. And if I drug her, I've tried many times said, cause she's a huge baseball fan, a huge Ranger fan. And, uh, and I'm like, you ought to come on. We ought to do one about go. Cause we will go away and go to games, go to games out of, uh, out of state and, and do stuff like that. And, uh, but she doesn't want to, she won't do it. She won't come on. So the fact you got, it's Mike, right? Mike's your husband. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, and that was fun to listen to. And he came on. In fact, I, you know, you, you said something about Mike was in the, in the, in the uh, mortgage business. Now I saw yeah. you, I saw you wearing a hat one time. I think it was an Instagram or something. Was it affiliated bank mortgage? Is that who he's with? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I try to pimp his business as much as I can with the uh, subliminal advertising on my hat. Yeah, um, well, we're going to, we're going to do a quick, real quick. We're going to do, uh, we are going to do a quick, uh, uh, little commercial for, for Mike right now. Cause I'll tell you right now, I'm, okay. I'm in, I'm in the real estate business. So I'm, okay. uh, I do it. I, I own a real estate investment company. I do property management. I'm also a realtor and affiliated okay. bank, affiliated bank mortgage is who Kathy and I use to buy our house, to refinance our old house. And I, I use affiliate. That's who, you know, you have a lender that you, you recommend to people and affiliated yeah. bank mortgage is who I use. And let me tell you for anybody out there that if you've never bought a house, you're thinking you want to buy a house. It's a, it's a big deal. It's the biggest investment you'll ever make is buying a house. When you're going, there are a lot of lenders out there and you, you know, you go online, do lending, but the, the affiliated bank mortgage gives their own loans. So they are their own bank mm-hmm. that get, and you can't understand for someone like me that works from the realtor side of it, how important that is to have your own underwriters, people you can be in contact with, because it is a, and as you know this, it's a, it's stressful when you're buying a house and as you're going along, all of a sudden they need more documents or they need another bank statement or whatever. But these people that deal with their own 
lenders and their own underwriters, they are ahead of the game because they know what – that's why I always used affiliated. They know what's coming up. They already know what the underwriter is going to ask for going up, and they stay ahead of it. So, guys, if you're out there, if you need to if you need to buy a house, you call me. I'll call Mike. I'll get him – call Emily, and we'll get a hold of Mike. He'll get you a loan. I'll get you a house. And then guess what? I'll buy you a bottle of wine from, uh, from Emily, and we'll get it to you for congratulations. But I love affiliated mm-hmm. – bank mortgage i do like them so that's that's man that was a great commercial and we got totally unsolicited we didn't have to pay for it that's amazing yeah what? um that's very th- those are kind things you say about it and they do they run it they run a great operation and i will tell you from personal experience my husband works his ass off i mean he takes care of it he takes extreme pride in taking care of his clients and being you know diligent being honest um i think some lenders try to you know, oh, hey, this is, is going to be awesome. You know what I mean? It's right. Just, he's very upfront about, and two, sometimes, it, you know, people want to get over their skis as far as what they can afford. I and mean, he, he reels them back in and is like, look, this is not going to put you in a good financial situation. Exactly. Um, he, you know what I mean? He really does care about that kind of stuff. He's not just trying to close a deal so he can get a commission. He's wanting to make sure that the, the whoever, you know, these clients are of his that they're going to keep coming back to him and in order to do that you've got to take care of them exactly and that, that's exactly right and they and, and in a lot of cases too the the with affiliated and the one i use and i'll use mike obviously but just because he's affiliated that's what i like about it but they'll they they'll coach you hey you know you're not quite ready yeah. we might be ready here in about four or five months if you'll do this and well, here we are on a baseball show talking about real estate, but that's exactly. a, but I'm telling you, I got people that listen to this. If you've thought of selling, buying, I'm telling you, call me. We can, we've got a line of succession here. We can get stuff going and uh, at least hold your hand and help you. It's a big deal, but boy, owning real estate is something you really ought to do. But let's get back to baseball and talking about uh, the podcast here. Emily, hey, you know, I wanted to ask it. So you and Mike, you have two kids. How old are your kids now? Uh, nine and seven. Henry's nine. Hattie's seven. Do they? Does Mike ever come to the games with the kids? Some, um, not a ton because night games are too late and day games are too hot until this season. Until this season. Um, yeah, but well, and then you know, and then of course, you know, we weren't allowed. Um, so uh, he, I, we got season tickets uh, that were supposed to be this season. Ho- we'll hopefully be able to use next season. So I have a feeling they will go. A, a ton more oh yeah so I, I wondered that in your so kathy and i used to go to a lot of games before i i in 19 is when i actually started when you met me coming into the press box and doing that and so she loves to comes to games but she also she has a she and she like looks at emily and goes emily and i've been in the same spot because my son my oldest son was born in july uh mm-hmm. july 18th and i drug her to games Back then, he's 15 now. I drug her to games nine months pregnant, and she used to watch you on TV with your belly sticking out and going, yeah. oh, my God, I know exactly how she feels right now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was it was, it was was miserable. But, um, yeah, and I worked right up until Patty was born in June. And with both kids, I worked right up until probably two days before I delivered. Yeah, I, I remember that too. And all of a sudden, you wouldn't be on the broadcast, and Emily had her baby, and and Kathy like she had a she's like that. Oh, I feel for Emily right now. I know exactly what she's going through and doing. I even drug her out one time when Ryan was two weeks old. We went out and uh, to a game. We got some, I think, through a client or maybe through her work. I don't remember, but she had a boppy. Did you ever use a boppy? I did. 
this is the greatest thing, folks. For you also, for, yeah. for those that don't have kids, you'll it's this donut thing that fits around, and men can use it too. So you know, if you're nursing, it was good for the mom, but even if you're not, you're just doing formula or whatever. It frees your arms up, and there's Ryan sitting on a boppy with my wife, who looked over at me like, I cannot believe I'm out here with you with a two week old. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, the things we do. <laughs> For love. Okay. Yeah. All right. I want to get into you and, and your career. So tell me about where you were born and where you were raised. So I was born in Houston, but I don't really remember Houston. I grew up I, you know, kind of a little bit all over the place. We lived in Perryton, Texas for a little while, that up in north in the Panhandle. We lived in Amarillo for a little bit. But really, I settled in Plainview and from the fourth grade on. So fourth grade on, we moved. My parents divorced when I was five. We lived with my mom. We lived in California for two years with my mom. Okay. Um, my papa was a pilot for United. He was based out of LAX. And so we lived with her for a couple of years. And then both summer before the f- fourth grade, um, we, my sister and I moved full time with my dad. And so my dad raised my sister and I from when I was in the fourth grade and when she was in the seventh grade on. Um so that's kind of where this whole love of sports came from. Instead of playing with Barbies, which we did, we would play with Barbies while we watched football and baseball and back, you know, and we just, so much of our family time revolved around sports. And so we both just grew up being huge sports fans. Now, did you play any sports when you were growing up? I did not. I played basketball in junior high, um, ran track in junior high. I'm slow as shit, but I, you know, <laughs> small town. Um, and then I was a cheerleader all through junior high and high school. Uh, my daughter did that. She was a cheerleader at Plano High School. Uh, so I, I was the, the, the cheer dad, the guy that had cheer the – Cheer dad. Yeah. After games, I was picking up all the cups and megaphones and moving them around and walking around down there. So I, I know that feeling. So so your lo- you just answered my next question about your love of sports. It really came from dad. So your dad loved sports, and you, you guys were hanging around dad all the time, and that's how you felt fell in love with it. Yeah. Yeah. And same with my sister. She might be a bigger sports nut than I am. Um, she's in, she's into it, you know, equally as much. And she's kind of where I got the, the inspiration of the idea to kind of do this as a profession. I remember watching, she was a huge UT fan. And I remember when Texas was in the uh, NCAA tournament and it was when BMW, I don't know if you remember BMW was basketball. It was blanks, maze and right. It was the three yeah. players that they had and they called them BMW. And anyway, it was a huge, you know, heyday in Texas basketball. And we would, I remember we were sitting on her longhorn towel watching a, a tournament game and I'll cut to sports center or something. And she was like, God, oh, wouldn't that be cool to be a sportscaster to, you know, work for ESPN and I was like, oh my gosh, that would be badass. And she is, but she's like total opposite of me. She's like super quiet, reserved, sweet, teacher's pet. Like she was just the perfect angel child and very reserved, would never imagine being on television. And so she was like, yeah, well, good luck, you know, have at it. I, there's no way in hell I would ever actually do it, but it would be a cool job. And so basically from there, I just kind of took it and ran with it. And that was what I wanted to do from, from that, that, that moment on. So how old were you? Oh gosh. I mean, it had to be like middle school. So from middle school uh, on, that's, that was one of my questions. When did you know you wanted to be in sports journalism? You did it from middle yeah, school on. Middle school on. Yeah. I mean, that's flirted with like, do I want to do sports or do I want to be Katie Curry? You know, I mean, there was, it was always television, but there was always that sports like underlying sports thing. And then I did news for two years before, but after college and I hated it. 
And that's when I was like, I got to get in. So I got to get, I got to go, I got to do sports because I couldn't stand news. Now, did you go to uh, or did you, college? Did you go to Texas Tech? Yeah. Okay. So you're, yeah. you're a big Red Raider fan. And did you yeah. do, now you studied, I'm assuming you studied journalism? Yeah, broadcast journalism. Okay. And did you do anything for tech? Were you doing sideline or anything up there while you were at school? No, I, I did everything mostly after school. I worked there for six years after college. So I kind of, I didn't do anything during school. The broadcast journalism department at tech at that time was god awful. And it's a wonder I even made it out of there with a job. But um, it's gotten much, much better since then. Um, but yeah, it was not good at the time. And so I really didn't do anything. I interned at the NBC affiliate in Lubbock, which is where I ended up working for six years. I interned there my last semester of college. Um, but that's really about it. So what uh, do you remember your first big sporting event that you covered when you got into the business? Um, it was, well, so Bob Knight was just getting hired at tech oh, yeah. whenever I was switching from news to sports. And so when, so I kind of a long story, but we got wind that Knight was getting hired and he happened to be, I had a, a, a close friend whose family owned the private plane that was flying him in. And because of the NCAA, like job posting, they weren't allowed to say officially because the job hadn't been posted for how many days, right. blah, blah, blah. And so I remember going to the little airport, you know, that's next to Lubbock International Airport wh where the private jets fly in. And I knew this is where Lee's plane would be flying in. And I got the tail number from the plane. And I would call, I don't even know how I knew to do this, but somebody <laughs> did. But you would call and like register, give them the, the tail number, and they would tell you where they were as far as the flight pattern is concerned. So we went out to this private little airport and just basically sat there for like, I think it was like 11 hours. And he finally got there like at, um, I don't know, maybe midnight, 1230. And I remember Gerald Myers, the athletic director at the time at Tech, pulled up, you know, like 20 minutes before night got there. And he's like, you got to stay away from him, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, whatever. And so I had at that point put up my shirt, a microphone and taped it to me. I don't know why, like I was going on some undercover thing, but I taped <laughs> this microphone under my shirt. My cameraman was there. And so I had made friends with like the baggage handlers and all the guys that were going to take care of the plane once it got there. And so fortunately for me, one of those guys put in a good word with me from coach, with coach Knight. So when he arrived, even though they were had instructed me not to approach him or, you know, because it was private property or whatever, Coach Knight let me come out and ask him questions, but he told me I couldn't ask him anything about basketball. And I'm like, well, fuck, what am I supposed to talk about? And so at that point in time, I don't know if you remember those Minute Maid commercials he was doing. Yeah. So he did these Minute Maid commercials. So we did like, I did three questions about orange juice, like whatever. <laughs> And then welcomed into town, and it was all caught on tape, and that was kind of my first big story to cover um, as far as, you know, that's where my, my little sports career started in Lubbock. And then, you know, and the rest was history, and, you know, he, he was who he – I mean, Coach Knight was – I mean, between covering Bob Knight and Mike Leach early in my career, it was like there's pretty much nothing I can't handle, you know? Oh, Leach is a character. I've said this all along, so I, I didn't – 
go to Texas, but I've always been a Texas fan. But I've talked to all my tech buddies. You I said, and eight hundred other people. I know, I know. But I, but my, I told all my tech buddies and I, that I, that I know growing up. I said the biggest mistake you guys ever made was letting Leach walk out that door, because yeah. I thought he was one of the he, man. He had Texas Tech up there. I mean, that it was he a. Did. I, and I was like, "You got to put." That's as close as we've ever been. Oh my gosh! Sure. That and he and letting him walk out the door, I was like, "God, you can't let him. That guy is made for that." And he is—he's always done good wherever he's gone. Now, what was your journey from there? How did you get in with the Rangers? So, I after six years in Lubbock, I actually this is also a funny story. So Dennis Simmons was is one of my best friends. Um, he was a coach on, he was quality control on the tech staff. He's now the wide receivers coach at Oklahoma under Lincoln Riley. Yeah. And he called me one night and said, Hey, this crew from Fox sports is coming and shooting some stuff. Why don't you come meet us for a drink after work? And I was like, Dennis, I'm tired. Like, I just, I'm just going to go home and go to bed. And he's like, come on. I think it could be you know important for you to meet these people. I'm like, Oh, whatever. They don't what That's not going to whatever. He's like, come on. <laughs> e. And I was like, fine. So I go and it was Randy McAvoy and a crew from Fox Sports Southwest and Randy over, you know, beers, we talked about, you know, the fact that he was about to leave for Houston and there would be an opening at Fox Sports Southwest. And so I got wind of that. He put in a word for me. I, you know, drove up here and interviewed. Originally they offered me a producer position and I said, no, cause I, I wanted to stay in front of the camera. And then a few weeks later, Randy ended up leaving and they had the opening and then they hired me. Um, to and when I first started, I was anchoring a show with Rick Renner called I remember Southwest that. Sports or SOS Sports on Sunday, and we had that Southwest Sports Report, and so I worked, you know, covering a little bit of everything for Fox Sports Southwest for a number of years. And then when we when we signed the TV deal with the Rangers, to where we started broadcasting basically all the games and doing pregame and postgame shows for those. And that's kind of when my, you know, kind of slow transition to the Rangers happened because we basically each got kind of got put on beats. And so Rick and I would cover the Rangers. So I, I started hardcore covering the Rangers in 2005. Um, and then it increased, it, it increased more each season because of that television contract. So I had, you know, Buck's last couple years and then Wash's, you know, Wash's entire tenure. Right, and Danny's entire tenure, and then now Woody. And le- and le- I want to set the scene here for people that that you got to understand. And we're going to talk about what a day is like for Emily when there's a gate a game and all of that. I actually have seen it. So, but you can't understand the relationship that Emily has with these players. Now we all get a chance to, so we get there about two thirty. They open the clubhouse and get down, and, and it's kind of look. I'm following around. Uh, the beat guys because I wanted to make sure that first year in 19 that I wasn't anybody's way I was trying to make sure and kind of feel my way around it you know you remember your first time when you're ever in a clubhouse or anything you're just you don't want to step on toes you don't want to be in the wrong place or do something wrong and Emily's over in the corner with her feet propped up sitting next to Elvis or she's over there by Chew and hanging out your relationship with these guys they love you they absolutely love you and and I get asked all the time what you're like what is Emily like I said gosh she is the biggest bit I mean Good Lord. She, no, no, but I'm like, and I, I actually had written a thing about that first year about uh, my my year in the press box and all the people I'd met and gotten to know and just a little stories about each one. And when I talked about you, I was like, you, you don't understand how Emily 
she's loved by everybody there and she's friendly to everybody she's loved and i said she she strikes me as a as a woman that probably had a lot of guy friends growing up along with with girlfriends because you could dish it out as well as you could take it and yeah that's important and i did i had i had a ton of guy friends especially in college and gave me all the shit and i had to learn to take it and i had to learn to give it back and it was kind of part of it and same way with you know, just like, you know, dealing with Coach Knight and Coach Leach. And, and these they, these guys aren't pulling punches because I'm a chick, you know. And right. so it was it, that was something I learned very early on. And I think, too, with these guys, there's, you know, I think there's something. Um, I don't know. I think there is, you know, people talk about being at a disadvantage, being a woman in, in sports. And I think there are definitely plenty of disadvantages. But also, too, I've always told people, I feel like, for me, something I try to not use to my advantage, but I guess you could say that it, it, I feel like I'm, I try to be really disarming. Like I, I try not to come off as, you know, I know what you should have done in this situation. Why didn't you do that? Just the way that you ask your questions and all that kind of stuff. A lot of times, um, and I'm not saying all men, but some men come across as, you know, a little bit know it all And this is what, why did you do this? And questioning things and, you know, all that kind of stuff which is fine if I disagree with a move that was made or a play that was made or whatever. But I feel like the, the because of the fact that um, maybe because I wasn't, you know, born with, you know, a twig and berries that I just, <laughs> I, I don't ever come into any situation like, you know, and I've never played the game at, a, at any sort of level or any games for that matter. And so I don't know. I just feel like the way that I try to approach people is, is in, a, in a more disarming manner and, and hopefully that's, that worked for me or has worked for me. Well, it, it does. And they, they, those guys love you. I mean, they really do love you. And I think my favorite story that I had from well, not the, all of them, just for, just for the record, not all of them, but uh, <laughs> I, I feel confident saying that, you know, some, but I, not definitely not all. There have been a few that uh, there've been many that have not cared for me. Well, my and we're going to talk about that. I want to get in if there, you know, you, you can take the fifth on any of that too, but the, my favorite deal, and I don't know if you remember this or not, but in 19, this is the, the thing that, that cracked me up and it was like, you gained all my respect and for so i got to be friends with with tr and levi and evan and all of them got to know them and uh we're sitting down there and i think it was the day that beltre was was getting honored or whatever we had a day game and then we had a night game and it was after that that day game we're sitting down there it's middle of the afternoon sitting there and john radigan was there and tr looked over at you and he goes um emily are you working (laughs) Do you remember this? Your response was no. Your response was fuck you, Tr. <laughs> yes, I'm working. <laughs> and me and Levi just kind of curled up with uh oh. And he goes, well, what the hell is Rad's doing here? And you're like, have you ever heard of a post game show and pre game show? And he goes, hell, I don't have time to. Watch. And then we realized you guys are just messing with each other. And it, I oh, laughed yeah. hysterically. And that's when I knew that girl has grown up around guys because she ain't afraid to give anyone shit. She's just taking it right there and taking it to them. Well, and two, that part of that came where you, you gotta, you gotta earn your way in that clubhouse too. And that's not just for players. That I mean, you should have seen the way those fools treated me when I first got in there. I mean, it was not pretty. And I'll tell, I'll tell, I tell this, I mean, I tell Tierra that all the time. I was like, you were an ass to me for like at least a few years. And then they started me MLB.com started wanting videos. And he didn't want to do the videos and he realized he was terrible at the videos. And then they had me do the videos. And then I was like, Oh, my savior. And I was like, listen, you shithead, <laughs> you old grumpy old man. But he's, I mean, he's definitely softened over the years, but it's just part of that. You know, it's part of the, 
the dynamic of the class. I mean, I, I feel like, you know, Levi and I have talked about that, how it's an intimidating place to go into. And I mean, it was for me, and I don't think that has anything to do with being a woman. I just think it's just, it's, you know, it's just, a, it's, it's just, it's just like any new situation. Yeah. But I feel like it's escalated it, or it's elevated in a major league baseball clubhouse because all it is, is a bunch of dudes sitting around giving each other and everyone in that room shit. Yep. That's it. That's exactly yeah. it, and it's fun to see from – so you have to understand the people that love this show and love me and all that. So I am – I write on Dallas Sports Nation. I do the podcast, but I'm a fan, right? So I started out as a fan, been a Ranger fan since 1974, my first remembrance of going to games. I'm old, by the way, if you can't do the math there. So um, – but going in, and so they, through me – see that uh, like I'm it's like fantasy camp for someone that I look back now and go God, I wish I would have gotten into sports journalism this is a fantastic so much fun to do and be there and be around and do all of that and you think back on it now but hey I get to do something I love to do as kind of a side thing for me it's a blast watching all you guys in there and, and doing it and now I'm in there asking questions myself and doing it but they all love that I have this access. And so now I do get shit from people that want, you know, why aren't you giving Rugi a hard time or whatever? And I'm like, dude, you don't understand. That's not my place. They get asked the tough questions in there. I'm just in there getting tape and, and stuff for the show or doing whatever and talking to the players. But, uh, you know, I'm so sick of hearing that. I, I don't think people, and you are one that can back this up. Rugnet Odor, for all his faults and the troubles that he's had, that guy works his ass off. I've never seen someone work so hard at something who is loved in that locker room. Those guys love him. And yeah. I know I know you do too. And it, it's not that Rugi signed this contract and doesn't give a shit. It's not. I know. That's yeah, that's a frustrating argument. Yeah. Yeah. It, he, and he's not it's it's not I mean, obviously it's not happening for him. It hasn't happened for him. It's right. not clicking, something's not right. And but it's not like he's like, oh, well, F it, I got a bunch of money now. I no. mean, it's, it's killing him. It absolutely is killing him. It kills him. I mean, it really does. And I hate to see him like that as someone who cares about him immensely. Um, but he's trying everything he can to figure it out. And I think, I mean, it, you, we got to be real. Like, it's got it, it's got to be this season or it, it, they're going to have to cut figure something out yeah no i mean they they, they've given him so many opportunities i know he's grateful for every one of them but at some point you gotta you gotta you know ask or get off the pot yeah even odor apologists like me and you who love him and want to see him do well just because i've seen the type of guy he is and the work he puts in there is a point where we're all sitting there going look i can only defend it for so long yeah something has to be done yeah i know and then the whole tired argument about how he changed ever since the punch with jose bautista i'm like oh spare me on that like Uh, no that that one event did not change everything. That it, it didn't change the type of player. It didn't change his swing. It didn't change. He's not this. You know, he may have this persona on the field, but you know, he's trying to you know bring. He's trying to maintain the player that he's always been on the field. Right. Um, you know what I mean? He's trying to be consistent with that. He doesn't want to change who he is, and I appreciate that. But at some point in time, it's who he is isn't translating into results there. You know, he knows that they're going to have to come back. Yep. I, I agree. Listen, what's your, tell me about your relationship. You and Adrian got real close. Uh, now, now Adrian's already retired by the time I got to go in there. Where did that start? I mean, he, te- he genuinely loves you too. You know, his wife, the family, kids, did it start out that way with Adrian? I mean, he has one big no. smile every time he's around. He's just this big grin. So it, for yeah. us on the outside, it just seems like he's this fun guy, but you guys have a special bond. Yeah, well, he but he was like super intimidating. I mean, I told him that. Like, 
there was an aura about him. There was, you don't, I didn't know why. I don't know why. But when he first got there, I was, I mean, I was legit intimidated. And I, I don't normally get that way. And it wasn't because I thought he was this fantastic player. It's because I thought he was this gruff, not going to be nice to me dude. And so it took a while. I mean, it took a while for me. I mean, and I treated him differently. And I don't, like I said, it's not because I, he ever did anything. It was just kind of the way he carried himself that was, he didn't speak often. Um, you know, he didn't, he just didn't show his personality a lot early on. And then once he started to loosen up, once he started to get comfortable, um, that's when I was able to, to really have some fun with him. And he was that, I mean, he, he it wasn't like, I mean, it, yes, he and I are very close and his, I'm close with his family. I adore his family. Um, but he, I felt like he got to be that way with everybody toward the end. Um, and not even just at the end, but after a couple of years, after he loosened up, he really did show his personality and he really did, you know, give all of us, you know, plenty of the business and, um, had fun with us and was able to, to, you know, to joke around and, you know, and really just be himself. Um, but the one thing I've always said about, about the Beltrays is, you know, I've, I spent so much time in that clubhouse, 15 years. 16 years, whatever. But, you know, and I always, uh, you know, appreciated and valued my role within the organization and was comfortable with it. But with, with Adrian and Sandra, they made you feel like, they made me feel like family. They made my family feel like family. And that was something that I hadn't experienced in that clubhouse at, you know, up until then. And, you know, the way that they treated me and the way that they treated my family made me really feel like, you know, I wasn't just an extension of the team that I was actually, that I was part of things. And, you know, I'll always be grateful for that because that's a, you know, that's a tone that, that, that only Adrian and, and Sandra could set. And I'm, I'm definitely grateful for that. That's awesome. I, and I, you could see that, that y'all did have a bond on that. You know, in that, so I know that the, the old ballpark uh, clubhouse, where did Adrian sit in there? Where was he at? Um, if, so he, oh gosh, I think he was where Colby was, um, which you don't remember Colby. No, um, you got to go 19. So he was over, yeah, I'm trying to, so he, if you, when you walked in yeah, and you took a left, and so on the other side of the laundry room. On the, So over so, kind of by where Elvis was over there and. Yeah, but he was further down toward the laundry room. He had those first two lockers. Okay. All right. So kind of where Chu, well, Chu was kind of right. Okay. Chu was on the other side. Chu was in Napoli's old spot. Okay. All right. So, so in, in the old, in the olden days, that was the, the, the fun corner. That was like the, the corner, <laughs> the fun corner. It was like Nap and Michael and Ian all in that little corner where Chu is now. Yeah. And that was where all the tomfoolery took place. That was where, <laughs> yeah. I know, none, I know for you guys, listen, you have no idea what I'm, we're Sorry. talking about. Yeah, yeah, we, you don't know what we're yeah. talking about right now, but she has answered a question that I, I don't know why I've never asked anyone this. Anyway, I got an answer. Okay. So I want to go to any, is there any one player ever that was just a complete asshole that you just had? You don't have, you can I take mean, the fifth. You can take the fifth. Oh, I don't care. CJ mm. Wilson was not a complete asshole, but he wasn't just <laughs> He just was difficult. He wanted to make everything difficult. He wanted to make you feel like you weren't smart at all, regardless of what question you <laughs> asked. Um, he just wasn't it. Yeah. He just was, he just, he wanted to make everything difficult. I'm, I don't, it, I'm not saying I can't, I hate him or that he was terrible to me. He wasn't, he just was, I don't know. He just, it just wasn't pleasant. I, I try, you know, it just wasn't good. Well, it, you know, it's funny you say that. Is it anything comparable to what, to, to maybe what uh, Lance Lynn was like in 19? I mean, Zoom was Lance no, Lynn's friend. Well, 
I know. So, yeah, I mean, Lance, yeah, Lance was, we had to come to Jesus, Lance and I did, about it, you know, just kind of a conversation, like, hey, dude, like, at least just tell me, like, what what you're okay with and what you're not, so I don't keep, because I don't keep going down the same road. And I think with Lance, you're just, you have to kind of earn that, I think he got burned before, and I think you kind of have to earn that trust. I think he's surly, and he's a smart ass, and I appreciate that as much as anybody, because I am too. And so, you know, I think you just kind of have to find, he's just not going to make it easy for you. Um, but it was a di- totally different field than CJ because where with Lance, he's trying to, he's, he's not going to make it easy on you with CJ was in a condescending manner. And I didn't ever feel like that, that Lance was, was being condescending. I thought he was just being, um, it seemed like an inside joke to him. So, yeah. Right. <laughs> and some of that too. I mean, you know, I, I, but I, I wouldn't put those two in the same category. But yes, Lance was, was definitely difficult in the beginning. Well, and Zoom was his friend. He was so much more open on those Zoom calls. Uh, yeah, because he doesn't deal with all of us hanging around his locker. <laughs> Standing right over him. But it was funny. And what, I, what I'm saying about Lance, Lance wasn't an asshole. Let me be very clear about that. But everybody, you know, Emily would go right up to whoever pitched that night or whatever. And the, the first people would be Emily asking questions and the camera's right in their face. And he was a lot of one word answers. Yep. Nope. Mm-hmm, and you'd break, mm-hmm. you would break down, you know, in the second inning, look like your curveball wasn't breaking and he got a hold of that. Can you explain that? Yep. That's what happened. And well, that's kind of the thing is you, you, he would make you work at it. Like, don't ask me a question that, you know, that, that you know the answer to well, that. Well, or that, that I can give you a one word answer. Yes. You know, <laughs> Okay. All right. Now, is do you have one favorite? Is is uh, is Beltre your favorite, or do you have one favorite that you I can? Can't, I can't. No, I would never. I, I can't. You're, There's too many. You're yeah. taking the There's, fifth. Okay. All right. That's well, fine. Well, I mean, and they're all and they're all for. They're, I mean, like you know, like Elvis is like my child. Yep. You know, Adrian was more was definitely not like my child. Adrian was like a you know a brother. Like I mean, sure. he's, he's friends. Um, you know, Ruby and Elvis and Derek and. Um, Joey, those guys are like my kids. Um, you know, I've I'm so emotionally invested in them. And so it's such a different type of relationship than the ones that I had with, you know, Michael and Ian and Nap and Adrian. And, you know, I will say this, and this is so funny. So it, and a lot of people don't, don't know this, but I, I credit Ian Kinsler for like getting me ready for a major league clubhouse. Like he was the first person, the first guy who, who, took off the kid gloves and then gave me the business and would, would, you know, call me out, would give me shit and I'd give it right back. I mean, he, 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 I feel like I owe him a ton in kind of taking those kid gloves off that a lot of those guys had um, in the beginning with me being a woman. And so he, he didn't, he didn't give a shit. I mean, and I, I love him for that. I mean, I remember we were in spring training this was Nat's first year. So it was 2011 and I'm going out the back. Ian and I were balking at each other about something. And uh, Nap was sitting there, and I just met him. And Nap was eating some lunch, and it was just like three of us in the clubhouse. It was like me and Ian, and maybe a couple other guys. And Ian starts, yeah, I start yelling at him about something, and then he starts yelling at. We're going back and forth. I'm pregnant, and he's like, "You are so emotional because you're pregnant. I can't even deal." And, so I'm yelling, shut up and leave me alone. You know, I mean, we're just like, and I look up and Nat's like got these huge white eyes. Like what is happening here? They're yelling at each other. He's yelling at a pregnant woman and she's yelling back and what's going on in my life. 
Um, but so, yeah, I, I love Ian. I mean, he, he gave me tons of shit and he does not suffer any fools, but you know, he'd fire off at me and I'd be like, okay, well, why don't you fucking quit hitting pop-ups every damn at bat, you know? <laughs> so, you know, we, he could, he definitely dished it out, but he could definitely take it too. And a, a lot of times those guys, you know, they feel like they can dish it out, but then you challenge them back and then they, they're not interested in that. But with Ian, that's definitely not the case. Do, do you have any one favorite manager? I mean, that, that you liked more than any? Oh, I mean, you know, they all brought their different, you know, their different personalities. But I mean, Ron Washington, I could just sit and talk baseball with him for hours and hours he and seems hours. Like it. Um, and, and, it's, it, and, it's, and it's the way he talks. It's the way he tells the stories. It's the things, the way he says stuff that just, it's so terribly engaging that I could literally just talk baseball with him for and like I mean hey. the man tells the most epic stories ever it's he's amazing yeah and, but uh, that, I love them all I mean obviously oh yeah and Woody is just a dream I, of course he's the only one I've dealt with he's such a sweet guy and a, a nice guy but I look at what when we go in before the game you go in Woody's office sit down and shoot the shit with him and ask questions and do that. And all I thought then is like, well, I bet this was amazing when Wash was sitting here because that oh, guy just, just seemed, uh, he would just hold court. Yeah. I bet that was funny. Okay. So let's talk about a day. I, I, I know this. They don't. I want to talk about a seven Oh five first pitch Emily's day. Okay. When you're getting up in the morning and, and let's say it's school day, are you the one in the morning? I know you're not there in the afternoon and evenings. Tell me how your days, what, what time are you up? Are you getting the kids ready for school? How's your day go? So usually up around 545, go work out before the kids get up and then get them up, get them to school. Um, and then I had to work around two and then hang out in the clubhouse for, you know, 45 minutes, right. uh, interview with the manager after that, head up to the press box to get my notes together. Pre-game hit at 630 um, on the air from 7 to 1030 or 11 whenever we finish and then post-game manager press conference and then post-game clubhouse couple interviews there and then home by eleven thirty midnight and hit the road it's a long day it is a long damn yeah. day for you for you it's really long yeah you know i i know that not is it different when you're on the road oh yeah i sleep later on the road um and then usually show up a little bit later because clubhouse time batting practice is we take it second so right. usually everything's pushed back a little bit now let me ask you this do, do mike and the kids ever take a trip out with you on the road and come to a series or something and hang out in boston or something mike has met me a couple of times um the kids have not just because usually school um right yeah but every once in a while they will that that seems like because i know i used to travel before kathy and i met and travel all the time and i, I just thought back that it would have been so neat if you could have flown out like if i was in new york or if i was in west virginia just flew out for the weekend we could have stayed over and had fun and do that i just wondered I, it, if that were today and i traveled you you think that especially with kathy that i would get her away and she would come meet me out on the road somewhere and do something of course she works her ass off so it would be different she works full time let me ask you about off season what's your favorite thing to do during the off season um, I think just, you know, not have, it's nice not having places to be all the time, you know, like a podcast. So having that, that freedom. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, I play some tennis and, um, you know, sell the wine and that's about it. 
So what is one thing nobody knows about you? And I always give this example, and this example was the one that ended up on Welcome to the Hit Show. I'm the one that brought out the Brock Burke example of sleepwalking when I was talking to him and asked him one day. So tell, I was interviewing him at Frisco. So tell me one thing that nobody knows about you. Oh, gosh, I have no idea. So it's not I'm sleepwalking. It's an open book. No. <laughs> I mean, I pretty much put it all out there. So... so I can't think of anything. And you know what? I have to go to the bathroom. Okay. I have to pee right now. Okay. Well, let's plug it and get out of here. So Emily's got to pee. We're going to do it. I want to get you one plug real quick. I want you to identify yourself and say you're listening to the Rangers Nation podcast. Okay. I'm Emily Jones, and you're listening to the Rangers Nation podcast. You got to say from Fox, Fox Sports Southwest. Okay. Three, two, one. I'm Emily Jones from Fox Sports Southwest, and you're listening to the Rangers Nation podcast. Thank you, Emily. Go pee. That's Emily <laughs> Emily Jones yeah. McCoy from Fox Sports Southwest. Well, I'm not the same after you have kids. All right. Thank you. Have a good one, Emily. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Like I say at the end of every one of these and everything I normally write. Nerd out. Nerd out. <laughs>